Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who was chosen by God, send their greetings. Yeah. We do want to wish everyone a happy Mother's Day today. I know that there are some of you who are here this morning because you did travel here to be with a a mother or a grandmother in your life. It certainly is a good day to call yours if you can't be with them. And uh, for for other people, sometimes this day is a little bittersweet for various reasons. I saw a friend of mine who posted uh, earlier this week on Facebook. He said, you know, this is the first year that as I see Mother's Day approaching, I have no one left to send a card to. It's not easy for everyone on days like this. But just the same, uh, for many of us, this is a good day to remember how much we appreciate the people that God has given us. So for those of you traveling here, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I'm wondering, especially once you started getting close to Corpus Christi, how many of you began to experience some road rage? (laughs) Traveling and seeing what people are doing, isn't it weird how from behind a steering wheel, there's all kinds of things I'm willing to say to someone else, right? And unfortunately, I think many of us struggle with translating that same approach to how we use social media, where just the way that I'm real bold and brave from behind a steering wheel with the windows rolled up, I might also be pretty bold what I'll shout at people through a keyboard, especially if I don't know them and we don't have any friends in common. Something about yelling at strangers is really easy, but what is it that usually cures us of that? It's face-to-face contact, isn't it? I would expect many of us, there are very, very few of us, I'm sure, who would say the same kinds of things to a person if they were standing next to us that we would shout at them from behind a steering wheel on the road or maybe from behind a keyboard when we're online. There is no substitute for face-to-face connections. Uh, I know I still have a couple of grandmothers and my mom up in uh, Nashville. I look forward to FaceTiming them at some point today, I hope. Uh, FaceTime and these video chatting apps have, have been a wonderful thing we can use in a modern age, but it's just not the same, is it, as being with someone face-to-face. We have to value the people that God has given us. Uh, For today, we're wrapping up a study, a brief study we've been doing of that little letter we call 2 John. And 2 John has so much to say about the value of communicating with others face-to-face. John tells us in this passage we were looking at today that letter writing for him is kind of a stopgap. I'd rather be with you in person, but since I can't be with you in person, this letter is going to have to be the best that I can do for now. In this brief letter from John, brief as it is, there's some significant things that it has reminded us of. It begins by reminding us of the great joy that we experience when we just happen to find someone we know both doing good and doing well. Isn't that the case? When someone you weren't expecting to bump into only to find that they or their children or or something in their life, they're just, they're making good choices, they're surrounding themselves with good things, they're working hard, they're accomplishing things they can be proud of, it's a source of joy to see someone doing the kinds of things you had hoped and prayed that they would do. 
John is talking to this other congregation and saying, it brings me great joy to find that you're walking in the truth just the way that you're supposed to, that you're staying faithful to the Lord just the way that I was hoping you would. What a great source of joy to know that even if I'm not watching you, you're still going about doing good. He reminds us how important it is that we choose our companions wisely. He's dealing in this context with some false teachers who are trying to creep in and and give them some different ideas. He says it's really important that you continue to connect with one another, connect especially with people who share your faith and your goals, and try to be like-minded in all that you do. And in combating this false teaching, the specific thing they were trying to say is that Jesus was this only divine being who didn't really come in the flesh. He didn't really become one of us or live or die among us. Jesus was so high and holy that he failed to ever really touch the ground, so to speak. And John reminds us, no, it matters that God's love was embodied in the world. It matters just as much that our love is embodied in the lives of the people around us, in flesh, in blood, actions, in space, and in time, that we do things that reflects the love of God for others to see. In this concluding section of the letter, we're reminded that our ultimate longing is, of course, to be face-to-face with God, to experience fellowship with God, to see Him as He is, just as He knows us as we are. But until then, John tells us, the best source of joy for us will be the fellowship that we experience together in Christian unity. This is a theme that he also writes about in the letter we call 1 John. It's an ongoing refrain in his writings, the importance of unity and love. For example, he says in 1 John chapter 1, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. So they're speaking truth, right? The truth claims they're making are significant. He says, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This message we preach is directly from God. But I love verse 4 where he says, we write this to make our joy complete. The best source of joy he can imagine in this life is the joy experienced through Christian unity. So several themes that emerge just in those couple of verses, we see the value of face-to-face contact like what we've been talking about. Even in speaking about Jesus himself, John is quick to point out in his letters and in his gospel, I'm writing about something that I saw with my eyes and I touched with my hands. This is what I'm proclaiming to you concerning the word of life. We are eyewitnesses of the man, Jesus of Nazareth, who we're convinced is the Son of God, is God in the flesh. But we're also eyewitnesses of the power of God's love when it's acted out in the Christian community. We also have seen the power of compassion and mercy and how it changes and redeems people's lives, both their souls in eternity, but even now, to have a life that's rich and meaningful and for a purpose that isn't wasteful or neglected. He says, we have real fellowship with the Father and with the Son. We're reminded of that each week as we take communion, the real connection that we have to Jesus Christ. And he says, we write this to make our joy complete. You could say that in the mind of the New Testament, there is no idea of perfect joy outside of the joy of fellowship with one another, especially the fellowship we enjoy together with the Father and the Son. How do I find perfect joy 
Well, it has to involve other people, and it's found in unity, especially unity within Christ. So sometimes what we battle, something that's an obstacle for us as we seek unity, is that when we're apart and we can't see each other face to face and we can't be around each other, what starts to happen is that in our minds, we, we form these kind of straw man versions of other people where the person in my head isn't necessarily completely like the person that I actually know or would be interacting with. Usually this goes in one of two different directions. On the one hand, sometimes we might romanticize someone who's not around. So you start treating them in your head like they're something way better than they ever were. This can be challenging sometimes when you've had to follow in the footsteps of someone who's a legend, and then everyone starts telling you how great they were, and you're going, there is no way in the world anyone was actually that great, right? You have those experiences? Sometimes we can just perceive someone in our heads in a way that might not be realistic. So a couple of weeks from now, I've been wanting to do kind of a good uh, Old Testament character study, and I've been gravitating toward the study of Abraham. I think, again, I'm, I'm preaching a lot of stuff these days about moving into uncharted territories, and I think Abraham is such a good example of someone who had to leave everything behind and venture off into a place where he didn't even know where he was going to end up. But, you know, as I was reading through Abraham's story, I think I was doing this a little bit to Abraham where I'm like, well, he's the father of faith, right? I mean, Abraham is the quintessential example of faith. And then I start reading some of the things he did in his life. I'm like, well, he, he really botched that one up. And look what he did to his wife there. And look at the risks he put her in. And, man, I don't like how he handled that one at all. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing how Scripture lets people remain flesh and blood. But sometimes we do that. We view people in such a positive light in our head that we refuse to ever see the negative. But, of course, the flip side of that is that we can also demonize people who are apart from us. And interesting trivia, that is the same person in both photos, <laughs> right? So we can do, these days we see a lot of demonizing happening of, of people who lived 50 or 70 years ago and something they did that doesn't fit our new cultural norms. And so we shame and try to kind of erase them from history because if they were brought forth in a time machine, somehow they would violate the way things we want and how we want them done. We see someone who disagrees with us on a singular point or identifies with a person we don't like, and so in our heads we go ahead and project onto them. Uh, they must just be some kind of knuckle-dragging imbecile, and I can't have any use for someone like that. We can get to where we view people in our heads in such a way that is so negative that even if they did something wonderful and kind, we would find some way to rationalize why we're not okay with it. The Pharisees did that to Jesus all the time, didn't they? No matter what he did, we're going to find a way to be opposed to it. He can heal a man who had been born blind and spent his whole life without sight. He restores his sight. They've got to find some way to be unhappy about it. But this is especially a problem for us the more we are separate, the more we are not united, that in our minds we start treating people in ways that aren't really in touch with what the person is like. So two of us could look at the same person in completely opposite ways, and it's possible that both of us might even be a little bit wrong in how we're thinking about them. So how do we sort out our misperceptions? I think John would say it's in the time we spend together. It's in Christian fellowship. It's in seeking out unity with one another. 
I know for many of us, a time of the year that that becomes especially important is when we think about things like Bible camp. So there's a little commercial. I believe Bible camp applications are now available. You can start signing up, but that time you get to spend with a group of people where you go beyond just kind of a handshake and how you're doing and you start picking up on their uh, you know, their quirks and the things they do that are a little different or what makes them laugh or what their talents are, that extra time spent together is, is so wonderful. I'm still really thrilled that we were able to reintroduce our Bible classes, and I've got to say, it's been amazing to us. We have consistently, since February, averaged between 80 to 90 percent of people who are worshiping with us staying for Bible class and attending a Bible class. I have never known a church with a stat that high for that long for that thing. <laughs> so we're doing really great, and I appreciate all of our teachers who are making these experiences as good as they are. But there's value in having the opportunity to go a little deeper with each other, to have a little more face-to-face -face time with each other. We start to become more real. We can love each other in spite of our flaws, often even because of our flaws. We are endeared to one another because we're all in this struggle together. So John is dealing with these opponents, these false teachers, and the way the other false teachers are probably working is that they show up into town and they start pressing the church to show them lots of hospitality. You're supposed to give me a room and board and a place to stay and take good care of me and let me preach for you, and I'm going to tell you how everything you know is wrong, and you're going to keep endearing yourself to me. And John says, I can't wait to see you face to face because in experiencing them and me face to face, you're going to remember the difference between us. What they're up to is just for their own good, but when I can see you face to face and you're going to see the way that I treat you, the way that we interact with one another, you're going to remember that I'm the real deal. You're going to see me as I am, not just as something that someone is trying to project on you. True character begins to shine through. So even in a time that we can't see everyone face to face, that we can't be with all the people that perhaps we wish to see, just as John mentions, I think we ought to return in our minds to the first part of this brief letter where John says, you know, it brings me so much joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we've been commanded to do, to see them doing good, to see them doing well. So even if you can't be physically with all the people that you miss the most and want to see the most, the right thing to do is to summon yourself and try to be the best possible version of yourself. Even when circumstances are dif difficult, sometimes especially when they're difficult, to summon yourself and try to be the best possible version of you that you can be. One of the things that we do uh, before the, the elders have their meetings and uh, ministers meet with them for part of that time, uh, we always reflect together on a passage of Scripture. The last meeting that we had, we were looking at a passage in uh, John chapter 13, I believe. This is the setting of the Last Supper. And if you think about your last night on earth, what would you be doing? I'd probably be putting in all kinds of special requests for the food I want to eat and the types of pies I'd want to be present and all the ways I'd want to be pampered before I make my last farewell. You know what Jesus did? He, he disrobed. He wrapped himself as if he were just a slave, a common household slave, and he knelt down and he began washing the disciples' feet. Peter's reaction to that can show us what an uncomfortable experience for them that must have been. This guy shouldn't be washing my feet. 
How could he lower himself to this? And they really had no idea just what Jesus was even preparing to do to take his act of service even further, even to the point of death on a cross. You know, something that Buck pointed out that I've been thinking about all week is it's an emotional thing to me just trying to picture your Lord and your Creator kneeling down to show love to you in such a tender and self-deprecating way. That in and of itself is incredible. But you know, when he washed the disciples' feet, he also washed Judas's feet. Even as he's doing the act, he says, You're all, most of you are clean, but not all of you. He knew what was about to happen. Fully aware of what Judas was preparing to do, just the same love he showed to the others, Jesus continued to be the best possible version of himself, and he washed his betrayer's feet. And just a short time later, Judas would use the act of a kiss, a kiss to betray his Lord. But Jesus wouldn't stoop to that. Jesus remains the best possible version of himself. And he says as he does this, I am doing this because I am setting an example for you that what I'm doing for you, you ought to do for one another. To maintain hearts of love and mercy and service, irrespective of whatever else is going on, that I and you should each always decide to be the best possible version of us that we can be. This week, like many of you, I was thinking about how do you say I love you to someone who might be far away, and I was reminded of over the years how many simple Mother's Day crafts I must have made, a lot of them probably in Sunday school. You know, I think I probably worked with dry macaroni more for that purpose than any other purpose in my life. You know, but you get together and you, you get the crayon boxes out and you get some, some craft glue and some glitter and you end up wearing it for a couple of weeks. But, you know, you kind of put this thing together that as a five-year-old, you're feeling pretty good about. Like, she ought to really be honored. You know, somehow this really ought to repay all the good she's done for me in my life. And so you make something like that, and you just give it to mom because it's the only thing you really know how to do. And you're trying to do something because something's better than nothing. And I got to thinking about that, and I started thinking about John in the process of writing this short letter. It's just a brief letter that he sent to this congregation. And I started thinking about, you know, kind of the craft of Mother's Day cards. And I started thinking about John and the craft of letter writing. Now, he may have had a scribe, but in all likelihood... This is, a, this is a guy seated at a table with some sort of writing surface. He has a little sheet of papyrus that was taken from reeds. They were somehow dried out and pressed together, woven together so they would hold just enough. And then he would take one reed that was in better shape. They would sharpen the tip of it, and then they would take a little charcoal, and they would mix it with some vegetable gum and add just a little bit of water to kind of thin it out appropriately. And I thought about him sitting there and crafting out a letter to this church not all that different than what we might give to mom on a day like today. And I think about the way that a simple act of love like that has such enduring value. You know, we encounter Second John in a big leather-bound volume with all the pomp and circumstance, but originally this wouldn't have been so different than a typical kid's Mother's Day card, would it? Something just handwritten and crafted with sincere love. And I think of the way that God has used that over the centuries to continue to bless us and to invite all of us into showing love in all the ways that we know how. And that's my invitation to any of us, and I think it would be John's invitation to us, that we do earnestly seek out to love one another, 
to be the authentic representation of Christ in his mercy, in his servant's heart, in all of our interactions with the people around us, and that we continue to hold true to the teachings that have been handed down to us. One of the things that we always do is that we make time in our worship service so that if there's someone who has a need, you have an opportunity to talk to us. And so you may have a a public response you're wanting to make where you would like to have the church pray over you this morning. It's it's an uplifting experience. We're happy to do it. Maybe this is the day you you recognize you want to name Jesus as Lord in baptism. That's something we are more than happy to do with you. Uh, Sometimes you might have a bit more of a private request. And so in just a minute when we sing, we're going to have a couple of elders up here at the front. So if you have more of a public response, you can talk to us. Or it might be the case, like a few of you have, that you just want to talk to someone kind of discreetly. And so we'll have some elders along the back that you can approach. One other thing that we've started doing for this week, um, it has been really hard from the office's perspective knowing how to follow up with people because we don't do uh, attendance cards or those attendance notepads, and we haven't been able to do those in over a year. And so we're going to go a little techie on you. You can always send us an email or talk to us, but uh, there's a QR code. It should work if you use this screen But if you look at the back of your bulletin, we're going to continue from week to week to leave that QR code on the back of your bulletin. The way that you can use it is that you turn on the camera on your phone, and when you focus the camera on that QR code, it'll pop up with a little link. When you touch the link, it'll take you to a brief response form, much like an attendance card. So if there's a prayer request that you have, if you're wanting someone to study the Bible with you, if you just have some question about anything at all, um, that's another way that you can respond. But uh, we're just trying to find ways that we can engage each other, because it has been a hard season in that regard. So uh, this morning, whatever your needs are, if there's any way that we can help you, we would invite you to respond in whatever way is best for you as together we stand and sing this song.